Well, grace you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, brace yourselves. <laughs> I'm not going to preach on the Isaiah reading. <laughs> and uh, I'm not going to because it's a really interesting reading from uh, the book of Philippians today, from the third chapter. You know, Paul lists all these ways in this reading that he kind of fits the mold for the ideal religious person in first century Israel. <clears throat> and all this great stuff that he talks about. I mean, if we didn't know better, it sounds like he's bragging, and you're really not supposed to do that, right? But as you go through the reading, you find out that's not the point at all for Paul. And so I want to talk about that reading today a little bit, and as we do, uh, I'm going to do it with one very simple goal, and that's that you would hear the gospel today, and that that gospel would renew your energy for the race towards life's one worthwhile goal, which is the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. And to that end, uh, I want to tell you a little bit about my relationship with baseball. So uh, I took a long break from baseball, and uh, not playing it, but uh, I guess playing it too. I haven't played it in a long time. Uh, <clears throat> but I, I took a long break from watching baseball, and really that break hasn't, hasn't really ended quite uh, but I was a big fan back in the 80s and the early 90s. I collected baseball cards. I knew all the big players. We'd go to card shows and stuff like that. I, I really liked baseball. But, but a bunch of things happened. You know, there was the strike in the 90s, and, and that kind of put me off things a little bit. And it wasn't too long after that that uh, I went away to college in Nebraska for five years, and there's not a lot of professional baseball in Nebraska. And uh, after that, we went to Indonesia for four years, and there's even less professional baseball in Indonesia. And then we lived in Seattle, and I wasn't going to watch the Mariners. So. <laughs> so I stayed away from baseball for a long time, for a lot of years. Uh, but when we moved to St. Louis, I went to a couple Cardinals games, and, uh, and some things were different. I, I mean, for one thing, since I'd been to a Cardinals game, there was a whole different stadium when we came back. And there were a bunch of other things that were different, too. One of those things that was different was walk-up music. I had no idea what that was. They didn't have it back in the, in the 80s and 90s, at least not that I remember. And it took me a little while to figure it out. I, I kind of thought maybe there was just somebody with a really short attention span who was doing the music. So they'd have these little sections every time the Cardinals were batting. But gradually, I got used to it. And, and I figured out what it was about. You know, it was about firing the player up, getting him ready for the at-bat. It was a way for whoever was going up to bat to find confidence. And that's the question for this morning that Paul asks us, is where do you find your confidence? Really, that's kind of the point of the reading. In fact, he brings up the idea of confidence right at the beginning, before he even starts the list. He, he says, if anybody else has confidence in himself, has reasons for confidence in himself, I've got more. And then listen to what he says. He says, I, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was born to the right people. His ancestry was right. His circumcision was done just the way it was supposed to be done. All these things were things, you know, Paul had no control over any of that stuff. But it was stuff that he found confidence in. But then he moves on to the stuff he actually did. Here's what he says. As to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. See, he wasn't just doing all the right things. 
He was fanatical about him. He was doing way above and beyond everybody else. And and so when Paul looks at reasons that he has for confidence in the flesh, it's basically two things. It's things that are true about him or things that are done for him that he doesn't have any control over, and it's things that he himself has done. And if we're honest with ourselves, we tend to lean on those two things as well for our sources of confidence. Sometimes it's, it's things that are true about us, things that are done by other people, stuff we have absolutely no control over. It happens like this. You read a news article about somebody who does something horrible, or, or, or you see somebody doing something that you, never, you think you'd never do yourself. You know, they, they break a rule of etiquette, maybe, or they're rude to somebody else, or they, they don't treat other people the way that you think they should, or the way they should. And when you see that, you maybe think to yourself, or if you're around somebody else, maybe you even say to them, I would never do that. My parents raised me right. Confidence in something you have no control over. And sometimes it's the stuff we do also. Sometimes it's how much we've, we've accomplished, how many awards we've won or how many raises we've gotten. If you're a parent, it's maybe how we've raised our own kids or how we kept our marriage working or our GPA, or our grades, or our honors, or our degrees, or our salaries, or whatever it is, all the stuff that we've done, that's a place we very often find confidence. And don't get me wrong, none of that stuff is bad. It's all good stuff. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. And yet Paul reminds us that no matter how much stuff you've got to put on that list, he's got more. He wasn't just good, he was great. He wasn't just great, he was fanatical about stuff. He had more honors and more awards and more right of birth. He had all the right upbringing, all the right habits, all the right stuff. But all of that stuff he counts as loss. Him of all people who's got more than anybody else, he counts it all as loss. And you know why? He counts it all as loss because all that stuff is going to die with Paul. All of that stuff is going to die with Paul. All of his accomplishments... His birth, his family, his work, all that stuff is going to be gone in death. Every bit of it, all of it, all of those things are going to fall away. And the things that we put our confidence in, they're like that too. One of my favorite rock climbers, a very famous guy, and one of the most accomplished climbers in the world, his name's Tommy Caldwell. And he... he, he, when he was just getting into professional climbing, he would take all, all kinds of trips all over the world to go to these climbing locations and put up new routes and, and you know, take pictures for magazines and that kind of stuff. And uh, One of his trips was into Kyrgyzstan. And in Kyrgyzstan, he and his climbing party, while they were in the middle of this climbing trip, there, there was civil war that broke out. And they got taken hostage by militants who were trying to overthrow the government. And their captors led them around the mountains for days and days and days. They didn't have any food. They didn't have any shelter. They didn't have warm enough clothes. It was a horrible time to hear him describe it. And of course, for those four people in the climbing party, until they escaped, uh, they, they were in this situation together. And as you can imagine, their lives were bonded together in a very very close way. In fact, uh, Caldwell himself even married one of the other people that was on the trip. Her name was Beth. And both of them drew a lot of confidence from that relationship. They found that to be a safe place. But time went on, and uh, the confidence that they drew from that sort of faded, and the relationship fell away, and it fell apart. 
And, and this guy, who's one of the most accomplished people, certainly one of the most accomplished athletes in the entire world, found himself in a place with very little confidence, very little feelings of self-worth, a very dark place. And see, ultimately, that's what happens with anything that we put our confidence in that is not Jesus. All of it is going to fall away. I mean, some of those things fall away in this life. You know, trophies and awards end up on the wall or on the shelf or maybe even in the garage, and all they collect is dust. We get to the point where we can't run as fast or think as hard or remember as clearly. Our upbringing maybe fails us. Our accomplishments don't carry us as far as we'd like them to. And and even if none of that stuff ever lets us down in this life, none of it carries through death for Paul or for us. Relationships are gone. Accomplishments don't change how you die. If you grew up in the 90s, I remember baseball cards, and, but it wasn't just baseball cards. Remember those no fear shirts in the 90s? Anybody? Okay, a couple nods. That's good. But my favorite one of, the, of all the, the no fear shirts was the one that said, uh, he who dies with the most toys still dies. That's true. That's the point, right? That's what Paul's trying to say. He who dies with the most toys still dies. Everything you put your confidence in It's gone at death because all of that stuff is either dead or it's dying. All the stuff we put our confidence in that is not Jesus, it's either dead or it's dying except for one thing, and that's Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And Paul gets at this in the reading. Here's what he says. Listen, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You see how much he talks about resurrection here? It's an important point in what Paul says because your money is not going to raise you from the dead and your family is not going to raise you from the dead and your upbringing is not going to raise you from from the dead and your accomplishments and your awards, they're not going to raise you from the dead either. Your Savior will raise you from the dead because see, all of that other stuff is dead or it's dying but Christ is risen. I caught you off guard because it's not Easter. I know. Well, that's good. That's confidence, right? It's confidence. And all the other stuff is lost, not because it's bad, but because it's finite. Because it's finite. The love of God in Christ Jesus is not finite. The promise of God through Christ Jesus at your baptism is not finite. The presence of God in your life is not finite. It is the only thing that goes with you everywhere you go in this life, and it is the only thing that goes with you out of this life and into death. I heard a great quote once, and I I don't remember where I heard it or who said it or anything like that, but the quote was this, death is the point at which all guides turn back. Death is the point at which all guides turn back. And since we're here and we're talking about Jesus, I think I would add the word other. Death is the point at which all other guides turn back. Because in your final moment, 
on your last day, when you draw your last breath, the only hope that you have is that something will mean that that isn't the last moment or the last day or the last breath. Resurrection does that. The upward call of, Christ Jesus, of God in Christ Jesus is the only thing that does that. Jesus Christ is the only thing that does that because all that other stuff is dead or it's dying, but Christ is risen. better that time. Well done. Now you're on your toes. You know, when you read this reading, it almost sounds like Paul is saying that all that other stuff is worthless and it's meaningless. And, and it is true that he says all that other stuff is far less valuable when you put it next to Jesus. In comparison, the gospel next to anything else in the world is like a diamond by a dollar. There's no comparison of worth whatsoever. But the real beauty of the gospel, or part of the real beauty of the gospel at least, is this. It doesn't decrease the worth of everything else. It actually increases the worth of everything else. The gospel elevates everything. And here's what I mean. Without Jesus, your job is just your job. It's a way to provide your, for yourself or for your family or for both during your time here on earth. But with Jesus, your job is a calling. It's something that God set before you so that you can serve other people, so that you can make sure that other people's needs are met. And whether you're a garbage man or you're a CEO, it doesn't matter. It's all got value when you've got the perspective of the gospel. Without Jesus, your family is just people. They're people that you love. They're people that you care about, but they're just other people. But with Jesus, your family is people that God has created, has knit together, and has put into your life to love and to care for and to serve. And they're people that he loves and that he died for. They're loved by the same God who loves you. And here's the thing. The gospel even reframes the bad stuff. It even reframes suffering. See, without Jesus, suffering is just suffering. But with Jesus... Suffering is still bad, don't get me wrong, it's still bad, but it reminds us of how much we need the resurrection. It drives us back to the gospel. I know I've told this story before, but it's a good one. I can't help telling it again. It really stuck with me. There's this pastor who used to go and visit this woman all the time, and she was in chronic pain. It, you know, she always hurt all the time, and so they'd talk about that, of course, during the visits, and, and the pastor would pay, say stuff like, you know, isn't it hard, isn't it difficult, doesn't it hurt? And she would always respond the same way. She'd always say, it's nothing the resurrection won't cure. It's nothing the resurrection won't cure. That's hope and that's confidence. Because see, even suffering is different when you see it through the eyes of the gospel. Even suffering is different and transformed when we see it through Jesus. And that's why we're here. That's why we're here. That's why we forget what is behind. The bad stuff, but the good stuff too. That's what Paul's talking about. That's why we press forward toward what is ahead because the gospel elevates you and it elevates everything else. The resurrection elevates you and it elevates everything else. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus elevates you and elevates everything else. Jesus Christ elevates you and he elevates everything else because anything else you find your confidence in, it's dead or it's dying, but Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen. And now may the peace of God that passes all understanding guard our hearts and our minds, keeping them steadfast in Christ Jesus.